Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. So let me read to you starting out this morning for session one. I'm going to read to you two passages of scripture. And we're talking about developing a warrior culture. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. When it says the Lord right there in that passage, it's Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of the host of heaven. He is the Lord of all the host of heaven and all the angels of the Lord. Do you believe in the ministry of angels? Well, I happen to believe in the ministry of angels. As a matter of fact, people see my angels all the time traveling with me. Uh, apparently, I got a couple of big bad warrior angels that, that, that roll with me. And um, apparently, they're also a little bit intimidating to some people. But I sure am glad that they're around. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you believe that God can hedge about and watch over his people? Well, he is the Lord of all the hosts of heaven. And I believe in the ministry of angels. We do not worship angels. Angels just work alongside of us in ministry. Glory to God. And we're thankful for that. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. The Lord invincible in battle. So the first thing I want to say to you is we have a warrior culture because we have a warrior God. So the scripture just said that he is strong and mighty in battle and that the Lord is a warrior. So if our daddy is a warrior, if our God is a warrior, well, shouldn't we be warriors? So if God identifies himself as Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, of all the hosts of heaven, and the Bible says that he is a mighty warrior, shouldn't you and I be mighty warriors? Amen. I was at a Louisiana outpouring when Nathan Morris, the UK evangelist, was preaching, a young evangelist. And he got up and he said something that marked me, and I've never forgotten it, what he said. He said, when I was a kid, I was growing up, I said, we used to pray these little prayers, and we would remember these little rote prayers. How many of y'all remember when you were a kid, pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. He said, well, the UK version of that went like this. He said, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, come and save this little child. And he said that. He said, you know, he said, I prayed that growing up as a kid all my life, and then I found out that Jesus was a conquering king. He wasn't just gentle and mild. He is full of love. He is full of mercy. He is full of grace, uh, but he's also bad to the bone. Can I say it like that? Is it all right to say it like that? So we're talking about setting up a culture, and a culture means this. The definition of culture is this. A set of shared attitudes, values, beliefs, goals, and practices that characterize or define a group, an institution, or an organization. And who sets the standard for that set of beliefs? In this case, it's your father, the king. Your father, the king, sets the standard. Now, I'm going to share a little illustration. Now, when we started doing warrior school this was an illustration that we used to teach at Warrior School, and we were teaching a bunch of college students who were actually studying to be, um, they were going to the medical field, they were going into engineering, they were going into uh, graphic arts and all those kinds of things and social skilled uh, positions, and here we are pouring into them so they can take Jesus to the marketplace. But this illustration that I'm about to share with you came out of a book it was one of the first books that we used to teach on them. Besides scripture, we would ask them to have some required reading. And some of it was people like, uh, you know, uh, like uh, well, Leonard Ravenhill, for instance, A.W. Tozer. We were sharing some of the ones for, from years and years ago who were mighty, Smith Wigglesworth. But a modern book that we gave that was put out somewhere around 2003 was by Erwin Raphael McManus. And if you've never heard of him, he pastors something called Mosaic over in Los Angeles, California. And uh, he has several Mosaic churches scattered around. And he'd written a book. He's written a number of them. But he'd written a book called The Barbarian Way. And I'm going to explain that to you in just a second. But he had this illustration about Robert the Bruce, who was king of Scotland. And Robert the Bruce was the guy, if you watch that movie, Braveheart, 
and you saw what happened to William Wallace, and he dies at the end of it. And uh, Robert the Bruce, who was supposed to be the next king of Scotland, fails him when he should have really fought for him. But he was moved, and it's a true story in history. His heart was so moved by William Wallace giving his life for the freedom of Scotland that he did take up the cause to fight against England. And when he did, he finished what William Wallace started. And they finally drove England out of Scotland. Scotland became a free nation. And when he was dying, the Crusades had just started up. And the Christians were going and fighting against the Moors and the Muslims. And he wanted to go on the Crusades. But he had a famous follower who was his number one right-hand fighter. And that man, um, that man was named James Douglas. He fought beside Bruce all through the Scottish Wars against England. So there's Robert the Bruce lying dying. And he looks up at James Douglas and he says, you've been with me through all of my campaigns. I want to go with my men in this battle to go and fight against the Moors and the Muslims, but I can't go with you. I'm dying. When I die, I want you to embalm my heart. I want you to put it in a locket, and I want you to take the heart of your king with you when you go into battle. When you go with my men, Robert I, I, or James, I want you to take this with you. So he did that. The, the king dies, he takes his heart, he wears it in a locket, and they're in Spain, and they're fighting, trying to drive back the hordes of the Moors that were fighting against them, and they got cut off from the rest of the army. He looks at his men, and he knows he's going to die. He knows that they're closing in on him. He only had time for one more rally and one more fight and one more pushback against the enemy. And what he does is historical, and it's documented. He grabs that locket. He breaks the chain. And he throws it into the face of the oncoming enemy. And he says, follow the heart of your king. This is why we're here. We're following the heart of our king. And your king is a mighty warrior. And Jesus Christ, his son, has never been defeated in battle. Hallelujah. He went and took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave, didn't he? He took it back. And our Jesus broke through and he conquered for us. So what I want to say to you is this is a kingdom culture. We're advancing the kingdom of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. We're a nation of warrior priests. Can I say it like that? We know that you're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. If our God is a warrior, then we are a nation of warrior priests, hallelujah, in service of our king. And this battle that we are facing right here in Crossett, Arkansas, in the United States and worldwide is a clash of kingdoms and a clash of cultures. I just got through reading to you what a culture is. Let me give it to you again. So when I say a clash of cultures, this is going to lock down in your mind. A set of shared attitudes, values, beliefs, goals, and practices that characterizes or defines a group, an institution, an organization like a church, or a group of believers like we as Christians. We have a certain set of values. We have things that we believe and hold dear and hold true. But we have a clash of cultures right now that's happening in the earth. And it is, it is not people versus people. We see that. That's really a symptom. What it really is is darkness versus light. What it really is is good versus evil. Truth versus error. Are you with me so far? Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 13. And when I said clash, I love this. One of the things that I, that I read in that book, we're going to Romans chapter 13 right now, verse 11 and verse 12 we're going to read in just a moment. One of the things that was listed in that book, The Barbarian Way, <laughs> was he was talking about what different animal groups are called. This is the coolest thing. I saw this. I had never heard of this. You know what a group of rhinos is called? A crash of rhinos. <laughs> I read that and I went, yes, <laughs> I identify with the rhinos. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that does kind of tend to crash into things. Uh, like I told you, what one of my Bible college chums said when I went and preached for him up in Kansas, he said, Bradford, I, said, I figured out what your ministry is. I said, what's that? He said, you're a big rock that God throws into quiet ponds. And that's pretty accurate. I tend to upset the apple cart wherever I go. So whenever we founded Warrior School, one of the things that happened within a couple of years, 
was as people began to see what was going on, we would take as many as 20, 22 young people with us to a church, these college students, and they're prophesying over people, and they're laying hands on people, and lined up on the back wall interceding in prayer, and they were passionate after God, and they were pursuing God with their whole heart. Now, I'm trying to make eye contact with you. I want to I make sure you guys are with me here. And people began to see that, and they would invite other students who were going to other ministries, both on campus and off campus, that were a little quieter and calmer than what we were. Our worship was intense. Our preaching was intense. Our prayer was intense and passionate. And they would tell people, they'd say, well, what, what is that warrior school thing that you're going to? Is that a church or is it a thing? They'd just say, it's some intense Jesus, brother. You just got to come see some intense Jesus. I like intense Jesus. I happen to think that Jesus was intense. Yes, he is gentle. Yes, he is sweet. Yes, he took little kids up in his arms and, and, and embraced them and loved them. Yes, he reached out to the leper. Yes, he reached out to the fallen woman in the street. But Jesus also was the one who turned over the money changers' temple, uh, tables in the temple. Je Jesus was the one that crashed the gates of hell. Hallelujah. Jesus is the one that called out devils. Devils couldn't hide around him. He didn't go looking for devils. Can I say it like this? Jesus was just so full of Jesus <laughs> that the devils couldn't hide. So people are asking, people will go with me. Sometimes devils will start manifesting in people in the mall when I go to the mall. It can, that can get really interesting, Casey, by the way. Or I'll pull up at a red light and uh, so the people have their windows rolled down and their eyes start bugging out and they start snarling at me and I'm going, now that's road rage, baby. <laughs> If you are full of Jesus and that Jesus is you in you is intense, then you love in an intense fashion. You war in an intense fashion. You witness in an intense fashion. In other words, there is a passion and a holy zeal that is in your life. So when I'm talking about warrior culture, I'm talking about living Jesus to the fullest. I'm talking about being in passionate pursuit of God. I'm talking about people who pray like there's no tomorrow. Hallelujah. About people who worship at the top of their lungs. I'm talking about passionate Christianity. Hallelujah. So this barbarian way. So soon after we planted the original warrior school in Ruston, I had pastors from Desalmonds, Louisiana, all the way down at the bottom of Louisiana, and said, can we start a warrior school down here? So we went and grandfathered in a warrior school. They called theirs Barbarian Warrior School. And that's what was on their T-shirts. Barbarian. And see, that just upsets some Christians. Because they just don't get it. They, like, they don't like their Jesus with a double shot of espresso. They like, they like a little coffee in their cream and a lot of sugar and more sugar. And just give me some sugar, okay, on Sunday morning. Just give me sugar. That's all I want. Don't, you know, I, don't, I don't want to. Don't, please don't wake me up on Sunday morning. Until the service is over. Are y'all still with me? I haven't lost you yet, have I? So, I, yeah, so it kind of flies in the face of all of that. So Roman, we're talking about a clash of cultures and maybe a crash of cultures. Romans chapter 13. Let me give you this mandate from the scripture. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and verse 12. Do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. And the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on, say put on, the armor of light. So that's something, that's an activity that you need to do. We're going to be talking about the armor of God in a minute. Not necessarily teaching on the armor of God, but I just have some questions for you uh, that we're going to ask you about the armor of God and see if you really understand where we're coming from with this. So here's what I'm supposed to say to you. The reason that Erwin Raphael... McManus wrote that book and called it The Barbarian Way was this. Maybe you don't know this. But believers were actually called barbarians. Christians were actually called barbarians by the Roman government. They were considered lower than them on the, on the socioeconomic ladder. So they just put all believers together with other cultures that they couldn't understand 
and they just called us barbarians. That's why Christians were actually thrown to the lions. They were sent into the arenas. That's why Christians were tortured, but also because the cause of Christ really irritated the Romans. This backward people that they considered them, or at least that's how they painted them. And I want you to understand we're, we're facing almost the exact same situation here in America today when Christianity is coming up against secular humanism. So in a secular humanistic society, we are the unlearned, uneducated, uh, uh, ignorant people who dare to still believe that there is a God in heaven and that there is a Jesus Christ who can save our souls and who still believe in signs and wonders and miracles and that there's some power in something called the blood of Jesus that sets people free. We are crazy. Well, I, I am embracing that insanity because when you've been set free by the Son of God, you are free indeed. Hallelujah. And whenever you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, what happened with Saul, the most educated man of his day and a Pharisee among Pharisees, uh, he had an encounter with Jesus that knocked him off his donkey. So the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, slapped Saul off of his donkey and said, Hello. <laughs> Who are you, Lord? He knew it was some kind of God or something. Hey, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one that you've been persecuting. But I'm here to meet you on the road to Damascus. And I'm here to talk to you about me. Here's my calling card. A, blight, a bright light shines out of heaven, knocks him off his donkey, and he experiences the power of Christ. Can I say to you, that kind of Jesus makes an impact on the world. Just as much as the one who embraces the little children, just as much as the one who lifts up that person out of the street, be both kinds of Jesus. Be filled with the love of God. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. Be full of the love and the compassion and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, but also move in the fullness of the authority and the power of the blood and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be that Jesus because people need the power of God that will set them free. So you and I are barbarians. We are considered barbarians, strangers, and aliens in a strange land. <laughs> and you've got to resist any temptation to become civilized. The church has become too civilized. We've become so civilized, and we've adjusted to the idols, we've adjusted to the customs, and we have adjusted to the culture of this world. And because we've done that and we've bought into those lies, we've lost our edge. We've lost our power. We've lost our authority to do the works of Christ. I don't know about you, but I like my Christianity on the edge. Hallelujah. I'm not of this world. I am politically incorrect. I'm giving you, this is an intro kind of this morning to what we're going to be talking about today. And it's about to get more intense. So I am politically incorrect. I will not bow to the idols of the land. If you really want to know, people are always asking me, prophetically, Brother Bradford, where are we, uh, uh, Pastor Paul? Where are we? What, what can we compare this to? If we can compare it to anything in Bible history, we are in a modern Babylon in society today. We are being held captive by the culture, the social uh, uh, st structure is pressing on us. We are being forced in our education system. We're being forced in our political system. We're being forced in our judicial system. And we're, they have rejected what was once a bastion of our society and what we built our constitution around in the United States. Uh, all of those values are being sucked away from us. Uh, we can no longer post the Ten Commandments uh, because uh, for some reason that's, that's offensive. Everything that has to do with Jesus is offensive to this culture. Babylonian culture hated the God of the Hebrews. And the Babylonian culture and structure and the harlot of Babylon that has invaded and is seducing our society hates Christianity, hates the living God. Uh, they understand what's happening here. It, you, it feels personal. Well, it is personal if you're in love with Jesus. So how do we react to this? We don't bow to the idols. We don't give in to the pressure. We, we, we don't fight against the government. 
This is a holy insurrection. This is a holy revolution, and it is a love revolution. Daniel did not go up against his king. He just simply said, look, I'm not going to eat what you feed idols. If it's okay with you guys, this is what God told me I could eat. Can I just eat that? And really, it was cheaper for them to feed them what they asked for, and they gave them what they asked for, and they survived and thrived and were healthier than all of the other captives of the land and even Babylon's own uh, society because of what they fasted from and how they walked and lived out their life. Are y'all with me so far on this? So we are tempted in the culture to say, yeah, it's okay to have gender confusion. It's like I can have a, an ambiguous bathroom where you send your children in and you don't know what they're going to encounter. You might not even be able to identify what they're encountering. It's okay for us to, to, to do this. It's okay to do that. It's okay for us to smoke, drink, uh, have sex with anybody we want to at any time. Uh, marriage, throw that out the window. What is that anymore? And so our society is trying to twist us and form us uh, into their culture. And, it, and so there is a clash of cultures. Actually, for me, it's a crash of cultures because we're, we're hurtling headlong into this. But because Daniel was a man of prayer and he sought the face of God, God gave him strategy even when he was thrown in the lion's den, even when the Hebrew children were thrown in that furnace of fire, God supernaturally provided for them. And a warrior culture is one that walks out in supernatural power and authority of God. What happened to the power grid in the church? What happened to the authority of the believer? I'm stirring you up in the faith because if you begin to embrace this and understand this, we're talking about living out the book of Acts. Yes. We're talking about living it out. Hallelujah. It says in, uh, <laughs> well, actually, I don't even have this verse written down. I just kind of wrote it down in my thing. Beloved, I urge you, I think it's found in 1 Peter, but I urge you as strangers and aliens to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Can I just say it like this? You are aliens in this land. I went to a youth group over in Florida, and I love them, and they named their youth group Area 54. And if you don't get that, you just have to look it up, okay? They said, we're just going to embrace the fact that the Bible says that we're aliens, and, and yet we're, we are not of this world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So, yeah, we don't look like you. We don't sound like you. We don't talk like you. We don't think like you. We're aliens and strangers to you. Yeah, because we are from another place. And we're going back there someday. So there's a revolution being revived today. Again, this is all... Foundation for what we're going to be doing today. Y'all with me so far? So there's a revolution that's being revived today. And we are revolutionaries fighting until the return of our king, Jesus. This is something God gave me a couple of years ago. I'm just going to give you this thought. These are some of the things you might want to write down. Again, we're going to have a Q&A at the very end of the session. And we'll give you a chance to ask some questions. We're trying to break this up so that... Uh, so that we don't try to process too much info all at once. There is no reformation. Let me stop before I give it to you. Everybody's saying we need revival. We need reformation. We need an awakening. Let me tell you the difference between revival and awakening and reformation. Because a revival, by the way, is not a series of meetings. Revival really is culture change. A revival does not come to just a church. That's not the way God ordained it. We thank God when it comes to a church, but God never intended it to come to just a church. So if God is bringing revival to this church, he wants to bring revival to Cross at Arkansas. He wants to bring revival to the region, and God is entrusting you with something precious. So people are saying, well, we need more than a revival. We need another great awakening. We need a third great awakening in America today. How many of you believe we do need that? But beyond that, we need a reformation. And a reformation is when you change even the way you're doing things. And there can be no reformation. That was the quote I'm about to give you. Without revolution. What does that mean? They're going to say it again. There can be no reformation without a revolution. Well, you're not going to find revolution in the Bible, Pastor Paul. Uh, I, I, I beg to differ with you. Let me tell you what a revolution means. 
A revolution means one complete turn around. A complete turn around. Can I say that again? A complete turn around. That's a revolution. In the book of Ezekiel, God said, I will overturn, overturn, overturn. See, a revolution is whenever you cast down an existing structure or order to bring in a new order. And then that new order becomes a reformation. And policies change. And things change. So if we've been doing things the same way over and over and over again and not seeing the right results, uh, then God show us a new and living way. If Western culture culture in the church has messed up and it's not doing what it should be doing and we're just going through the motions, then God show us the way. And so this is a holy love revolution. <laughs> All right, I know y'all excited. We, we ain't in revival yet. Just Well, we are. But we teaching. We teaching. So y'all... Y'all going to get me excited. If I start running the aisle, then Casey ain't going to be able to follow me on Facebook Live. Hallelujah. All right. So. <laughs> so there is a revolution being revived today. Our king, here's some truth for you. I'm going to give you some truths. Then we're going to start reading some of these scriptures. Our king insists that we not be defined by the materialism, the humanism, or the love of this world system. We refuse to become relevant just to fit in. We are separated unto him. So churches now are preaching a doctrine of relevancy. Oh, let's, so if we, can, uh, if we can wear skinny jeans, uh, if we can style our hair just right, uh, if we can have the right look that's trendy, and uh, we're going to approach our, uh, the way that we grow our church uh, through a marketing system instead of a spiritual system. And so if we can get the right brand, and we can get the right sign, and we can get the right location, and we can get the right look, uh, we'll get people to come in. And yes, uh, you can get people to come in. That doesn't mean their lives are being changed. So the system has become, as I said here before, about the two B's. And again, try not to offend anybody. So I know I won't offend y'all because y'all understand already that I have lost my mind and I have the mind of Christ. So, so if I offend everybody on Facebook, y'all forgive me. You can just click it off, you know, and, and then you won't get to hear the rest of this. It's been about the two B's, butts and bucks. How many can we get in the seat and how many can we get in the bank? So that has been our structure. We build our structure around that. And the way that we judge success in a church is how many people that we can cram into the church and how many people that we have got uh, uh, online, how many people that we have on our rolls uh, and how much money we have in the bank. And people look at that church and say that's a successful church uh, where people may be coming in and marriages are still breaking up in the church uh, and, and the children in the church are still bound up. Uh, people in the church are bound up in pornography. There's all kind of addictions and bondages in the church uh, just like there is in the world. The divorce rate in the church is as high or even higher than it is in the world. And so if that is success, I don't think that's God's measure of success. So if judgment must begin at the house of the Lord, then viva la revolution. I'm here to recruit revivalistas. Okay? You understand? So we ain't here to play. He said, revivalistas. I've never heard that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Viva la revolution. Hallelujah. So our king is insisting that we not be defined by the materialism, the humanism, or the love of this world system. He wants a church that is separated unto him, that is in the world, but not of the world. He doesn't want you to be removed from the world. He wants you to be in the world, but not of the world. Just to, to be distinctive, to stand apart, to have the truth, to have the message, uh, to have the power to back up the message. Not just the message, but we got the mojo and the message. I said, he doesn't talk churchy. No, I was raised churchy. I know churchy language. I can communicate with churchy people. But I, brother, but, 
It's just that God is burning all the religion out of me. He's burning the religious system out of me. And he's, he's boiling it down to just pure Jesus. Glory to God. So here's another truth. There's a violent engagement taking place between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we have chosen a dangerous path. You are indeed part of a divine insurrection. Warriors of light whose weapons are not of this world. We're driven by faith and we're compelled by the love of God. Who had Matthew chapter 16 verse 24? Okay, grab that microphone, turn it on, and I want, you to, I want you to come stand right here beside me, and I want you to read that passage. It's one verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, for those who want to turn and read along with us. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Praise God. You can sit down. Thank you very much. If any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to be a part of a Jesus revolution, you need to understand something about this revolution. It is a sacrificial revolution. Jesus isn't asking you to do something that he wasn't willing to do, but he is asking you to follow him. That means taking up your cross and following him. That is the gospel. It's, it's not about telling people that... Uh, Hey, I'm okay, you're okay. All you got to do is join our church and you'll be okay. If you join our church, you're going to get to go to heaven. I'm afraid there's a little more to it than that. You need to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, first by repenting of your sins, confessing them to God, because repentance is a true turning around. We're talking about a revolution, so repentance is turning completely away from what you were doing and walking in the direction of Jesus Christ and laying your past aside and taking up your cross and following after Jesus. I must decrease so that he might increase. I must disappear so that he might appear. This world does not need Paul Bradford. They need Jesus Christ living in Paul Bradford. And I need to show them Jesus Christ. I don't have the answers. He does. I don't have any power or strength of my own. He does. But he will manifest that power and that strength through my life. Glory to God. So I guess you could say that I am here to recruit. So when God gave his word to me about this, and I'm going to talk about what he, what he first called us to do. He told me that it was going to be a Josiah generation. Now, if you don't know what that means, he said it was going to be awakened hearts, a Josiah generation. And people are calling it all kinds of different things. This, uh, we, we know that we are living in the age of the millennials, right? But before that was what we called the great generation. If I can just back up a couple of generations. The great generation, those that won World War II, saw our country turned around economically. All of a sudden, God began to bless America like never before. Then we began to come into a, a generation, but then we came into the baby boomers. And the baby boomers was the free love society, and it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If you're old enough to remember that, you're probably my age or older. Okay, many of the great generation have gone on. Some are still with us, but uh, it, it was the baby boomers. And we, we embraced a decadence in life that the previous generation had not. Well, the previous generation were hard workers and, and family-oriented and, and, and supportive of society and believed in the Constitution of America and believed in the Bible and loved the Ten Commandments. Uh, then we begin to have the baby boomers where it was Free love, it was whatever you wanted, and, and you, could just, you could just do whatever you wanted to. A drug culture was established during that time. A sexual revolution, they said, went on at that time. And all of those moral absolutes began to be laid aside, and people began to do whatever they wanted to do. By the time we got into the 70s and the 80s, things got pretty bad. Uh, harder drugs began to come into America. And what started out with reefer madness uh, soon turned into cocaine and then crack cocaine uh, and heroin use. Uh, and even uh, uh, other designer drugs began to come in. And as America began to move toward greed and worshiping Wall Street more than worshiping God. Y'all still with me so far? Can I take you through this? 
We begin to slip even further in our fabric of our society, begin to dismantle. Our school systems begin to preach and teach uh, uh, that, that secular humanism, which really started in the early 1900s, but now it was prevalent in every one of our schools. Uh, and we begin to have our kids coming home and questioning the values that we raised them under. And now those people who had been the, the, here's what I love about this, though. Even in the midst of the hippie generation, there was a Jesus freak generation that God was raising up. Hallelujah. And as a matter of fact, can I just say to you, I'm a Jesus freak. So I'm of the baby boomer society that, you know, came into the Jesus freak movement and, and loved that. So that's where I'm at. And I'm still, I still think of myself like that. So that's why I look a little freaky and I act a little freaky, but I am full of Jesus. But right after that, we begin to have Generation X, Generation Next, and now the Millennials. And here's where we're at in society when we're trying to reach these millennials. Can I just give you a description of what we're dealing with? No moral absolutes. They reject them. You cannot put any moral restrictions on me. I can say what I want to say. I can do what I want to do with no restrictions. Respect is thrown out the window. I want you to respect my viewpoints, but I don't have to respect anything myself. Technology is their deity. Tech is their god now. Am I right? Technology is what our generation, this generation now has embraced in the millennials. Prone to violence, self-destructive, cutters. I was in, um, I'm not even going to name what state this was or even what kind of church it was. But I was in a Holy Spirit church, a very traditional Holy Spirit church. And I was preaching and at the end I was giving an altar call. And suddenly God had me do this. And I had never given this altar call before, ever, ever, ever. Um, suddenly God said, I want you to just call up everybody here who's a cutter. And I want you to say it like this. You've been standing in front of your mirror, and you're so full of self-loathing. You're either so full of pain that you're trying to relieve yourself of your emotional and spiritual pain by giving yourself physical pain, or you're so numb and you've gone through so much that you feel nothing and you would rather cut yourself to feel something and you're destroying your own flesh and then you roll your sleeves down so you can go to school and mom and dad don't see and the teacher doesn't see and then you come back. I said, the Lord is speaking to you right now. Get up here right now. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He wants to heal you and to renew you and to restore you. And the pastor was shocked. He's looking at me like this and and the, and the elders of the church were looking like, what is this guy doing? And then to their surprise, a dozen small church, a dozen young people came up weeping, most of them young ladies, weep beautiful young ladies who were literally mutilating their own bodies. Many of them had been abused as children. Many of them had gone through God knows what emotionally and experienced loss. And they had been cutting and mutilating their own body, looking in the mirror and hating what they saw so much that they were muted. And God set them free that night and broke chain after chain after chain. This is why we need a revolution. And if you're watching online, this is why we need a, a revolution. A 20-minute sermonette. A little 15-minute socially engineered feel-good message is not going to set these people free. They need the king to come into their lives. They need a divine ruler who can come in and set things in order. They need the powerful one who can break the chains of bondage and pierce through the darkness of their mind and let them know how much he really, really, really loves them. Don't just tell them about Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. This generation hates divorce, but they are very relational. They hate divorce yet they won't embrace marriage, many of them. They, they hate divorce, but they're afraid to embrace mess, uh, marriage because they don't trust marriage because they've seen marriage fail so many times. Am I telling you the truth so far? But yet they're very relational. 
They're gender confused because the world has offered them a pseudo family. The world has told them, no, this is your family. And it can look like this, this, and this, and we can just pick a piece of this and a pick of this and throw it together, and we'll call that family, that's family. Don't embrace the Judeo-Christian ethic of a family. Don't embrace the biblical ethic of a family. It's not a marriage between a man and a woman. It can be a marriage between Ben and Bruce or Sarah and Jessica. Come on, y'all. So don't even, you, marriage is whatever you want to call it. Family is whatever we want to call it. Or embrace the gang culture as family. We'll beat you into the gang and show you how much we love you by going through the gauntlet and we'll beat you half to death. And if you survive with broken bones and busted up and you get up, then we're going to embrace you and call you our brother or our sister and we'll have your back and we'll protect you unless, of course, we think you're snitching on us then we'll cut your throat in an alley. I'm sorry, am I being too real for you? I'm talking about what we're facing in society. This generation has been lied to so much that they don't trust anybody, they don't believe anybody. And this is the group that God has told us to reach. It is a fatherless generation. They feel very misunderstood. So some of y'all that I've called, I've called on you, we're going to call on you in just a moment. It's going to be Psalm 68, verse 5. You come up, son, and get ready. Right after that's going to be Hosea 14, 3. Hosea 14, 3. And brother, if you can't find it, we'll, we'll, we'll read it for you. Psalm 68, verse 5. Read that for us for our fatherless generation. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his high in his holy habitation. Thank you. You can be seated. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a protector of widows. For a fatherless generation, God has given us the answer. And can I say to you, because what we're trying to create and found right now is an intergenerational movement. I, I, I had never really connected with that term until uh, Colonel Chuck Stecker wrote a book about this, and I got a chance to meet him and, and recently become friends with him, and he was writing about an intergenerational movement, and he was holding events in churches, and as a, as a former uh, uh, Special Forces uh, uh, commander, and, and uh, he, was, he was having these meetings where he would connect fathers and sons and, and mothers and daughters and, in, in churches, and he would have special ceremonies where the fathers would come up and pray, and if the somebody in that church did not have a natural or spiritual father there, then the spiritual fathers of that church would come and embrace that young man and lay hands on them and pray for them and bless them. And if, if someone was there and they did not have a natural mother or a spiritual mother, then a, then, a, then a mother would come up, not only with their own children, but with someone who did not have a natural mother or a spiritual mother, and they would embrace them and pray over them. And I, I just applaud his efforts on that. And so that was the first time and I read his book about intergenerational movements and what God is doing in the earth right now. So can I say to you right now, this fatherless generation needs spiritual fathers, needs spiritual mothers. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand more on that in just a second. Are you ready to read that for us, sir? Yes, sir. Hosea 14 verse 3. Hosea 14 3. Just take that microphone and, and read that verse. Yeah you, you, yeah, you can read it right there if you want to. Uh, 14.3, Hosea 14, chapter 14, verse 3. Verse 3 is what you're reading. Make sure it's turned on. Uh, the Lord's mercy on Israel. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the, the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Is that verse 3? No, uh, chapter 14, verse 3. Uh, chapter 14, verse 3? Yes. I'm sorry. You're, you're okay? You're okay? Okay, verse 3. Hold on, hold on, hold on. One second. Help him find it, guys. I could, I could do it. What, what did you say? I don't, I need chapter 14, verse 3. I mean, I ain't trying to be rude. Yeah, chapter 14. Hold on. There's okay. chapter 14, now okay. verse 3. Three. Okay. Should be on the next page. Okay. You're doing great. Yeah, verse 3. Yeah, you can start with that. And return to the Lord, say to him, take away all iniquity, iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bills the vows of our lips. Okay, do I continue to read? No, you're good right there. Okay. Actually, Hosea 14.3 says, In you the fatherless find mercy. 
in you the fatherless find mercy. Look this way for just a second. Let, it means that those who desperately need a father, he's going to be a father for them. Sir. So I want to look at you right now, those of you who are of my generation. God is doing something, I believe, special in this church with youth and young adults that God's beginning to pour in here. And you say, what is my part in this? One of the greatest things that you can do is have the heart of the Father. One of the greatest things that you can do is be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. You say, well, what is that? I don't, that, that that's not an apostle. That's not a prophet. That's not a preacher. That's not a teacher. <laughs> no, you can be an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist and be a father or, or be a mother. Amen? But you don't have to be any of those things either to be a father or a mother. How many of you had someone, a spiritual grandmother, a spiritual grandfather, a father or mother who prayed for you, who encouraged you, who supported you, who were a listening ear when you really needed somebody to talk to? They're those people that you can call at midnight when things are coming apart. And that person will pray for you or have a word in due season. If the church begins to embrace that, then what you've got is a connected move of the Holy Spirit and a synergy between generations that gives an unbreakable bond. And it forms the ranks of the army of God of all ages to move forward as one and to take the land. Hallelujah. So, yes, I have a heart for other generations. I've discovered that it ain't about me. I don't want to be full of myself and make it about me. I had, I had a spiritual son recently go, hey, I want to put you on this poster that you're doing for Uprising. And, and he meant it in a, in a great way. I mean, he, he loves me, you know. And he said he was putting that together for me. I said, no. He said, what if I just put you in silhouette? No. I mean, he goes, but you're the one that came up with this. I said, I don't want it on there. I said, if we do a thing where I'm doing the teaching, uh, you know, I understand putting my picture on there. I said, but this movement is, a, is an intergenerational movement, and I'm trying to raise up young adults. I, I don't want my picture on there. Put the other guy's picture. I put the worship people's picture on there. I don't want my picture on there. I don't want it to be about me. This is something bigger than me. I'm just a facilitator. So sometimes in the body of Christ, you're not supposed to be the face. Sometimes in the body of Christ, you're not even the hand. God told me one time, I said, Lord, what am I in the body of Christ? He said, you're connective tissue. <laughs> and you laugh, but if you don't have connective tissue, your pancreas falls out of your body. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm talking about here? If you don't have connective tissue, you know, your arm falls down. Like, you, can't, you can't pick it up. So connective tissue, you may not see it, but it's holding stuff together. It's okay to be humble. It's okay to be unseen. God will see your labor of love. God will bless it. Hallelujah. Wow. We, we, we've got, we're almost through this session. We have so much ground to cover. Hezekiah was part of the great generation of his time. But Hezekiah, that awesome man of God who prayed and God gave him 15 more years of life, and I'm going to move quickly toward closing here, was followed by his son Manasseh, who was extremely greedy, who was wicked, who raised up the altars to Baal. The Bible says he filled the streets of Jerusalem with blood. But Manasseh's son, Hezekiah's grandson, Ammon, was even worse. The Bible said the, the streets of Israel ran deep with blood because of this evil, evil man. Along comes his son as a young boy named Josiah, and the temple now of God is in ruins. They had lost their relationship with God. Israel had become cursed, and Josiah is telling them to dig through the ruins to look for records, and they bring it to this boy king. They bring the scriptures to him. He reads them, tears his clothes uh, in mourning and begins to weep and says, this is what we missed. And Josiah became a reformer and pulled down the strongholds of Baal and the wicked gods and built up the kingdom of God and God brought favor back to Israel again. This generation is going to stand everything on its head. I said a revolution is beginning. So my mission and yours 
is to identify, to recruit, to disciple, and to train. To release them like the arrows that Jehu released that took out Jezebel's kingdom. To establish outposts, to establish hubs, new battlefronts. The identity of the warriors God's raising up, pure, bold, disciplined, mighty, prophetic, humble, sacrificial, servant leaders. And I want you to get ready to read that. You're going to come up here and join me, but first I want to read you one passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to give you our warrior creed. That passage of Scripture is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 2. This is one of the things that you'll see on our Warrior Path Facebook. 49, verse 2 says this. And I love this. It says in the first verse that from my mother's womb, God named me. But it says in verse 2, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. There has been a generation hidden away by God that God is bringing to the light right now. He's bringing to the forefront right now. Here's our creed that we have on warrior path that we're using. And my young friend is coming now to, to read. What's your name again? I'm horrible with names. Josh. I appreciate you, Josh. God had me give this guy the freedom sword that we, <laughs> that was some night, wasn't it? That was some night. And um, why don't you read the Warriors' Creed for us? This is one of the things that we're saying about the identity of this culture. Because I am a warrior of Christ. I was created for such a time as this. I am bold. I have line of Judah DNA. I am prophetic and intuitive. My generation is revelation. I will be disciplined, teachable, obedient, and transparent. Integrity and honor are more to me than mere words. I am a soul winner 24-7. I will never abandon my fellow warrior on the battlefield. I have been bought with a price. My life is not my own. I am well-versed in unconventional warfare. My weapons are not of this world. I am a believer, a liberator of the oppressed. I stand in the full armor of Christ and will not stop fighting until the day I lay down my sword at his feet. Amen. Praise the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to take about a 10-minute recess, uh, give you a chance to go and get a little rest, get some water, and go to the bathroom, and we're going to pick up our second session. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossit.com.